our elders who are currently serving. And now to the real sermon. A riddle to rock you. Why parables? Crowds were attracted to Jesus at the outset of his ministry by his wonderful miracles, healing the sick, raising the dead, feeding the multitudes. But he did much more than amaze them. Once he had their attention, he taught them. And one of his favorite teaching devices was something called a parable. It means something put alongside for comparison, to illustrate, to prod us to think differently about, view something differently, challenge your assumptions and perception. Parables are a bit like riddles in that you either get it or you don't get it. Uh, some riddles, for example, following along on our church leadership side note question. What do they call pastors residing in Germany? German shepherds. Which biblical character grew up without parents? Joshua, son of Nun. Check it out. Joshua 1 verse 1. And who's the fastest runner in the Bible? Adam, because he was first in the human race. Ha oh, ha, get it? Shepherds, none, human race. Riddles have that little surprise effect that make you chuckle and ask yourself, now why didn't I think of that? Parables can have at least three different purposes, illustrating, concealing, and subverting. Illustrating, Mark 4.33, with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. To some extent, they could understand. Parables help illustrate. They unpack meaning. They serve as examples or expansions of what you're trying to get across. Not to mention, they're usually just simple, interesting stories in the first place, easy to listen to and memorable. Because uh, stories go down deeper than just plain lecture does. For instance, if I say, once upon a time, there were three bears. Does your mind go to the line, and this one was just right, Goldilocks? Or if I say, once upon a time, there were three little pigs. Does your memory skip ahead to the line you can finish with me? I'll huff, and I'll puff, and I'll... You got it. Stories and parables make excellent, memorable teaching tools. Parables can serve to illustrate, to explain, to shed light on some truth by comparison, and they kind of hook into our mind. Bonus. Here's one I just made up. You might not get. A treble clef and a time signature walked into a bar to have a rest. That's the joke. Never mind. Unless you're musical, it probably won't make sense. Another purpose of parables is to conceal, Mark 4.34. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. So the meaning was sometimes concealed or hidden or veiled from the general crowd. But Jesus privately uh, explained the meaning to those closest to him, his committed followers, the disciples. Earlier in the chapter, Jesus said to the 12, Mark 4:11, he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. 
parables were concealed to those who did not have faith, those who had not turned to God, who weren't receptive of Jesus as Savior. Sometimes parables seem multi-dimensional. There's an intentional ambiguity as if, well, it could mean this, or it could mean that, or maybe even both. Another aspect is that parables can be subversive. Now imagine for a moment you're not comfortable 21st century Canadians. Instead, you're a first century Jew in Palestine under Roman occupation. Yesterday, a Roman soldier forced you to carry his pack a mile in the wrong direction, making you super late for getting where you're going. Last week, the tax collector pounded on your door demanding the usual taxes plus his 30% personal markup. And you know when you take your money for a sacrifice to the temple when you go to buy the lamb, the money changers and licensed animal sellers are going to hit you up for almost double what an animal would normally sell for at your local market. All under the approving watch of the Sadducees who have rigged the temple system for their own personal benefit. There is so much about the current system that's wrong. Your cousin, a rebel zealot, was found out thanks to an informant and subsequently crucified mercilessly by the Romans. You ache for change. You would be willing to throw your support behind anyone that might come along and lead a multitude armed and ready to set things right. Now, what's Jesus going to say to a crowd like that? How can he get the message across that things aren't right, gain a credible hearing from the common folk without himself being charged with treason? How can he be at all critical of the religious authorities without being sternly disciplined by the Sanhedrin? At least not prematurely before his ministry is supposed to end. Well, this is where parables come in to serve as subversive code. You can tell a story that seems to mean one thing, but in a given context, people will see through what you're saying to its application in the real world. In 2 Samuel 12, Nathan the prophet took his life in his hands approaching King David after the king had committed adultery with Bathsheba, arranged for her soldier husband Uriah to be killed, then taken her for his own wife to cover up the resulting pregnancy. Nathan hooks David's shepherd origin sympathies by telling a story about a rich man who steals a neighbor poor man's dear little pet sheep to make supper for a traveling guest. It works. David is drawn right in and burns with anger, pronouncing judgment on the villain. Nathan replies, you are the man. David sees his crime in a new light and acknowledges his sin. In Mark 12, Jesus tells the parable of a man who plants a vineyard, rents it out to tenants, and sends people, including eventually his own son, to collect the rent. But the tenants mistreat and even kill those he sends. The religious leaders are incensed. Although the parable doesn't name them outright, it's plain to all the listeners who Jesus means. Mark 12, 12. And they looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. A parable can be subversive, code language that's critical of those in authority, 
aimed against those who work on righteousness. Art can still have a subversive effect. George Orwell's Animal Farm is just at first glance a story about talking farm animals, but it takes a powerful swipe at communism as was practiced in the former Soviet Union. Joyeux Noël is a movie that tells about the time in the First World War when British, French, and German troops called a one-day truce and celebrated Christmas together, sharing treats and photos and stories about their families. But how do you turn around the next day and go back to shooting at these people you've come to know? Those in charge were subsequently disciplined by their superiors for having such relaxed relations with the enemy. The movie today takes a pacifist poke at militaristic ways. Maybe you've seen other movies that challenged your views about certain things, perhaps took you by surprise, prodded you to look at things from a different perspective. So parables can illustrate, conceal, and subvert. New Bible Commentary Revised says they can be moral weapons to surprise and stir the conscience. Today we're going to look at two short parables of Jesus, the growing seed and the mustard seed. Both start out with the words, the kingdom of God is like. To even mention another kingdom than Rome could be viewed as treasonous. And the Sadducees, the Jewish temple authorities, had a very cozy relationship with the Romans. So these parables not only illustrate something about God's kingdom, they also conceal meaning from those who might be hostile to its application. And the subsequent growth of the Christian movement in following centuries could be seen as subversive, undermining Roman tyranny until finally leaders of the empire eventually acknowledged its expansion. Section, are you on or off the harvest wagon? Both parables are quite short, just three or four verses. The first one occurs only in Mark's gospel and doesn't have a neat and tidy explanation by Jesus like the parable of the sower and the soils, so leaves room for interpretation. Mark 4.26, he also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Jesus drew his illustrations from everyday life in Palestine, things people could relate to. They could imagine themselves in the story. The seed has potential wrapped up in it, like the seed in the parable of the sower and the soils. It could result in much or little. There's a risk, an opportunity. In context, Jesus is spreading the seed of the gospel. Crowds are listening to God's word. Verses 27, 28. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. How much human agency is involved here? Absolutely none. The seed grows by itself. The soil produces grain all by itself. The farmer doesn't even know how it happens. It just does. The marvel of how the creator has designed seeds to have inside them not only the blueprints for growing a plant, but also the blueprints for how that plant would develop its own seeds to carry on subsequent generations. God's word has power to bring forth results independent 
of our involvement. Isaiah 55, 10, 11. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God is sovereign. He is omnipotent. He is accomplishing his purposes, whether we choose to cooperate or not. Part of the stress of our current COVID situation is the prevalence of alternative viewpoints. Some people listen to mainstream media and accept a certain view. Others listen to alternative news sources and have quite a different take as a result. Where's the truth lie? Sometimes it seems there's room for doubt on both sides. Yes, the vaccines help prevent against COVID, but there are breakthrough cases. Sure, the pandemic may seem unreal because you don't personally know someone that's been affected by it. Yet the hospitals have patients sometimes severely affected and some provinces are really struggling with it. We're a bit like the farmer. It's happening, yet he does not know how. Jesus is implying God's kingdom is growing all by itself. It is moving toward a consummation without depending on us. But we need to orient ourselves around it as a given fact. The kingdom is beyond our ken, beyond our comprehension. We can't totally understand it. God is a God of mystery. There are secrets he's reserved to himself, such as when Jesus is coming back. Yes, the rapture is going to happen, and you'd better be ready. One will be taken, another not taken. A God we humans can totally comprehend would not be worthy of our worship. Despite all the uncertainty in our pandemic world, the diverse viewpoints, God is quietly going about accomplishing his objectives. Didn't take him by surprise. God is still in control, even when we can't seem to reason our way through to satisfying explanations. This calls for trust. In fact, trust or belief or faith is the key to understanding the parables. Just like music is key to understanding that treble clef and time signature riddle. You won't get it without first surrendering to Jesus' lordship. You won't get the parables without faith, without trusting Jesus. Verse 29. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. A harvest is coming. The kingdom of God is moving towards a consummation. And his work in your life is moving toward fruition, developing the fruit of the Spirit moment by moment, week after week. Will we be ready for the harvest? James 5, 7 and 8. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. The prospect of harvest gives meaning to our existence. The lie of modernity is that 
God doesn't exist. God isn't in control. But things will just muddle on and lose energy and increase randomness until the universe ends with a whimper and curls up in a cold little ball. Yet Jesus' parable implies that humans have a role in the harvest, even if we don't quite understand how it's all going to play out. There is a goal to God's universe, an end point providing meaning to our existence. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. What you do matters. Next section, the expansive kingdom that affords much shelter. Just a reminder to those watching on the live.hereinchapel.com platform, if you swing over to the notes tab, the sermon outline is in there and all the scripture verses as well. Our second parable also stars a seed, but this time a particular type of seed, a mustard seed. When I think of mustard plants, I don't think of seeds so much as grown plants, the pretty yellow things. They're about three feet high. We used to have to go out into the grain field to pull them by hand. How many used to go and pull mustard? Oh, okay, got a few recruits there. Uh, Then pile them in heaps on the gravel driveway so vehicles would run over them and grind them into withered, harmless smithereens. Take that. So... Mustard, to me, implies not so much size as profuseness. There were a lot of mustard plants to pull. They were prolific. Nevertheless, in some parts of the world, they can grow quite large. John MacArthur's commentary notes, some have grown 15 feet high and have the properties of a tree, such as having branches large enough for birds to nest in. And all that from a little teeny tiny seed. Again, ain't our creator God grand. What's Jesus emphasize about this small, unimpressive seed? Verse 32. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. The kingdom of God is expansive. It affords much shelter. This can mean the way the gospel message is spread around the globe throughout the centuries. It can also mean the way God's message percolates through our whole life and bring about massive transformation, shifting our focus from self-oriented, what about me, to other-centered. How can I best serve you? What does God want from me today? How is he waiting to activate my gifts and talents to mature as his child in worship and work? Next week, I'm sure we'll hear how God's been work in the lives of people from Teen Challenge that escape the bonds of addiction. When you encounter such a person who is mature in faith and truly loving and caring, you notice whether you're saved or not. There's something about them that attracts you. You would like to spend more time sheltering in their sphere of care, their branches. Part of the God awesomeness factor here is the minuscule size of the seed compared to the long-term effect. Branches, even birds, can make their homes in Don't despise the day of small beginnings. Entrust your mina to the Lord and watch what he does with it, how he amplifies it, how he places you in contact with those who really need what you can offer. Proverbs 22, 29. 
Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure men. The way of Jesus says, I am being sent by Jesus to bless others and invite them to follow him. A blessing attitude spills out in benefit to others. The goal of the kingdom is beyond just its own interest. Birds can come and nest. The kingdom busts our conceit, our selfishness. Jesus' way calls us to die to self, lose ourselves in serving God and others with pure love. Last section, trust God's timing. Both parables emphasize that God is bringing about amazing things through the seed of his word growing, heading toward a harvest, altering lives for good. We may not understand quite how he's doing it, but he is bringing about a harvest and growing his kingdom all the while in our lives as we trust him. Trusting is the key that unlocks the secrets, the riddles, the parables of his kingdom. Solomon Ginsberg, a Polish Jew, became a flaming evangelist across both Europe and South America. In 1911, needing rest, he decided to head to America on furlough. His route took him to Lisbon, where he planned to cross the Bay of Biscay to London, then on to the States. Arriving in Lisbon, in Portugal, Ginsberg found the bulletin boards plastered with weather telegrams warning of terrific storms raging on the Bay of Biscay. It was dangerous sailing, and he was advised to delay his trip a week. His ticket allowed him to do that, and he prayed about it earnestly. But as he prayed, he turned to his WMU prayer calendar and found the text for that day was Deuteronomy 2.7. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. He knows your trudging through this great wilderness. These 40 years the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. The Lord seemed to assure him that his long worldwide travels were under divine protection. Ginsburg boarded ship at once, crossed without incident, and caught the Majestic in London. His transatlantic voyage was smooth and restful. Only after arriving in the United States did Solomon learn that had he delayed his trip to Lisbon, he would have arrived in London just in time, just in time to catch the Titanic. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, there is so much we don't know. These times are so uncertain and full of doubt and anxiety. Thank you for these parables that reassure us and challenge us. Thank you that you are bringing about a harvest, maturing your kingdom in us day and night as we keep resting in you. Show us the harvest you want us to reap. Show us the birds that need shelter in our branches. Put within us a willing heart that loves you more and is ready to accompany you on this adventure. In Jesus' name, amen.